Pulled up to the scene in a 65 Bentley, dripped in Brioni, China doll with me, looking like a supermodel, oh what a feeling, 25 years old, 25 million, today's the audition for the Godfather part, my life's already a movie so when do I start, I walk up in Patsy's East 119th Street, Fat Tony Salerno gets a kiss on the cheek, I know my way around, not my first time here, been doing overnight cigarette loans for 10 years, I say hello to Danny Pagano and Tough Tony, Nicky Domino gives me a nod, they all know me, they ask why I'm there so early, I say the part, they say what part, I say the movie, why not, I don't look like Carlo, they all begin laughing, 3pm ready for the lights, cameras, action, Gianni getting your song, my name is Gianni Russo, aka Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from the Godfather, I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story, before all of the wins in my portfolio, I was a little boy diagnosed with polio, experimenting with cures. I tried every one, felt everything in my right, but my left was numb. Today's show is going to be a video of the podcast, The Bootlegger's Story. Gianni joined host Del Radcliffe along with his guest, Ava Thompson, to reminisce and tell insider stories about her great aunt, the legendary actress, Ava Gardner. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello everybody, I'm Del Ratcliffe with Seven Jars Distillery here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I just want to welcome everyone to this version of our podcast. I've got two fantastic guests with us today. Uh, to my immediate right is Miss Ava Thompson, the great niece of the world-famous Ava Gardner, and to her immediate right is the one and only, the legend, Mr. Gianni Russo. Um, <laughs> I don't know about a legend. <laughs> well, you're you're a legend in my mind, Johnny. If nothing else, so um, I want to I want to spend just a quick minute uh, explaining to everyone why we have uh, the two of you together here uh, with us here and here in Charlotte. Okay, because uh, we figure that we're. Um, probably among the most fortunate and lucky people in the world, honestly. You know, it's not just about the things that you have in life, but it's about the people that you know in life. And Seven Jars was really created for one simple reason, and that was to tell the story of our mother and father, Frank and Velma Ratcliffe. And um, through that storytelling and through the business that we have with Seven Jars, we were fortunate enough to meet you, Ava, and to come to a, an incredible relationship with the Ava Gardner Signature Bourbon uh, and, and the other wines that we're doing now under the Ava Gardner brand. And uh, that's been a, a, a very special relationship for us. And uh, so we want to thank you for that as well. And, you know, as part of that, we're always, I'm always fascinated by that era, the era of Ava Gardner, you know, and how she, she came during a, a time that um, was very different than what it is now, you know, and uh, she was very independent, a very strong woman. And uh, so I've always wanted to talk not just with the family that knew her, but with other people that knew Ava, or at least came across her in her life. And we all know it's kind of, you know, those those are getting fewer and further between now. Um, our family came across one of the most fascinating books that I've ever read in The Hollywood Godfather. And uh, we came to know Mr. Gianni Russo through his, uh, this is a bestseller. If you haven't read that book, you need to get a copy and read it. I'm telling you, it's it's, it's honestly some of the most fascinating stories. And, and honestly, kind of a walk through history, Gianni, that you have. 
Yeah, some good, some bad, but <laughs> well, definitely history. <laughs> but that's you know, and that's one of the things that appealed to me about your story, Johnny, because having gone through what our father did, you know, our father was involved in, uh, you know, he was involved in bootlegging, and as a, even as a young kid, they were doing moonshining here in Mecklenburg County, and so yeah. <laughs> So that's why it really struck a chord with me. And so um, for those of you that are listening, I just want you to tell, I want to tell this one thing, and then I'm going to let the two of you talk, but um, what an approachable guy you are in that I reached out just on Gianni's website and said, uh, you know, we've, we've had this history with our father here. We have the relationship with the Ava Gardner Trust and with Ava Gardner and, and certainly you, Ava. And uh, I said, you know, I'd love to know if you, you know, if you really had any stories that you could tell us about Ava Gardner. And lo and behold, within 30 minutes, minutes my phone rang and uh, we spent almost an hour talking and we've been I truly feel like I've, I've got a friend for life in you and thank you for that. Thank you, I appreciate it. Well you, you, when you say Ava Gardner to me I met Ava Gardner through Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. who was my mentor early on so they both became very special people to me and uh, I had some great conversations with Ava Gardner because I guess I was more sustainable after four o'clock when everybody <laughs> all the other guys went to sleep and she was still drinking bourbon <laughs> so i i was all ears i'm talking to ava gone i can't yeah. believe you know that's amazing and, and, and I, there's one picture that comes to mind one night the sun was coming up and ava gone and i were the only ones awake now i'm talking about a cast well the men all went in Dean was the first guy I liked to play golf. But you're talking about who's who of Hollywood. And, but on the loungers was Julia Prowse, Angie Dickinson, <laughs> Marilyn Monroe, and none of them had clothes on. And I'm saying like, who's ever going to believe that? I couldn't even tell anybody. So they said, what were you doing there? Why, why was I there? And I was, you know, only known as the kid. If anybody reads the book, you'll find out why that was. And, uh, but to me, and, and I, don't, I don't know how much time you spent alone with her when she was drinking, but she could talk and tell some stories, man, forget about it. She, she's like, I hate, hate to say it about a woman that's that gorgeous, but she becomes one of the guys. She does. <laughs> <laughs> and you were not the only one to make that observation. She starred with Howard Keel in Showboat. And he commented that she was so easy to relate to, and she just became one of the guys. Yeah. Well, now, <laughs> Ava, I've heard you talk a lot, too, that she had such a high metabolism that she could yeah. drink. And I think that's one of the things Gianni has mentioned. You know, she would drink and just drink everybody on the table, but she wasn't, like, slurring drunk type. I saw her consume a lot of alcohol, whether it was champagne or bourbon. Uh, whatever was being uh, served, and I never saw her slur her speech. I never saw her stumble. I never saw her really act intoxicated. She just metabolized it so quickly. Yeah. And she even commented about that. She said her ability to hold strong drink, she attributed to her Scotch-Irish Ancestry. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I'm a witness to that. <laughs> you know, I, I had cirrhosis of liver twice. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, I, mean, I, was, I was a drinker. I don't drink any hot alcohol now anymore because I cultivated my liver 
I was earlier on through dairy for four years it took me. Wow. Most people don't, you know, you can do that. But then now the second time when my vodka came out, I started drinking six, seven martinis <laughs> a day. And it was like, you know, I just, my doctor said, you know, you, you're going to die. I don't want to die. So here I am. I drink red wine now only. And I got some great liquor too. But like you're saying, but I've, I've met a lot of other women. It's amazing. Even guys who their capacity of drinking and their metabolism, I don't know what they do with it, but they can consume it. Consume it. It's amazing. So, Ava, tell uh, tell Gianni some of your stories because some of the funs I find fascinating were you actually went to a lot of the nightclubs that I'm sure Gianni is going to be very familiar with. I'd like for you to share some of those stories that you went as a young, you were you were a young girl and go in, but because you were with Ava, it was like, you know, you were one of the one of the crowd. Yeah. Um, it didn't matter where we were, Basin Street East, uh, the Brown Derby, Chasen's, oh, sure. um, Trocadero. Chasen's Sunday nights, forget about it. <laughs> um, I, you know, she took me to some of the finest restaurants in Los Angeles and New York City, and she always ordered um, a coupe of champagne for me, and this started when I was 12 years old at the Stork Club, and I took a little sip of my champagne, and it did not appeal to me at all when I was 12. But I didn't say... You didn't think it was ginger ale? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't protest. I just left it on the table, and this was repeated throughout the years. And the older I got and the more sips that I had, the better I liked it. And now that is my favorite uh, strong beverage. And um, <laughs> no one ever questioned her about my age. And when I was 12, I looked 12. Yeah. And then years later, I took my daughter, who is the fourth Ava in our family, um, to uh, the bar at the Waldorf in New York City. Um, and I ordered a glass of champagne for her, and she was 16 at the time, and boy, they gave me a fear. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, she never did. <clears throat> I said, well, look, I'm her mother. We're not going anywhere. We're just going to sit right here. But a mother can give alcohol to kids. I'm, so, I'm shocked <laughs> that they did. No, I'm serious. I'm they would not they let me get her any champagne, but that just goes to show that Ava Gardner could get away with most anything she wanted to. No, but it's interesting. You know, you hit on the Waldorf story. I mean, I spent years there. That's where I met every morning. At 11 o'clock, under the mm -hmm. clock, I was in, had me in the lobby. He may not be there yet, but I was there. I went to Peacock Alley, and I'm still, my, in fact, friends of mine from Indonesia now, the Bakwe brothers, bought the Waldorf, and they want me to open the Empire Room when they're finished with it. During the, they just, you know, they stopped everything because of the pandemic. But yeah. the Waldorf, and you'll see it tonight through my show, it's a, a big part of my life. And Mal Monroe... Gave nice. me my first glass of champagne. Really? I was 15 <laughs> at the Waldorf, mm. up in the suite. Oh, so that happened at the Waldorf? That was yeah, at the Waldorf? Yeah, that's where we were okay. hiding Okay. She came into New York for a year. Yeah. Because she wanted to get out of the contract with the Xanax. Mm -hmm. 
because she wanted to be known as an actress and she was studying with Strasberg and everybody. And they just saw her as a sex symbol. And Costello found the loophole in her contract and it was right under her nose and she didn't recognize it or her agents. She had a weight clause in there. And if she got over that weight, she could walk and they could walk. And that's what they did. Well, again, nobody realized she was pregnant and that's how she gained the weight. <laughs> which you know, is a result of a girl called Pearl, who's now 65. But, um, and that's Marilyn's that's daughter. That's another story. Yeah. <laughs> You've got, there's a lot of other stories uh, oh, yeah, with Gianna. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that's it's, good. It's we so can do... funny. Yeah. The parallels that go along, there's certain groups like Sinatra, Ava, Costello, they're just connecting the dots constantly. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about some other encounters that you had with Ava. Well, I, again, most of my encounters were because of Frank and being in those situations because he, as you know, was totally in love with her. And one of the biggest things that probably the world knows and never was explained when I got the part of the Godfather, Sinatra called me up, Dorothy called and said, the old man wants you. So he got on the phone and he says, uh, I heard you got a part in the Godfather. I said, yeah. He said, well, we're, we're friends, right? I said, of course. He said, if I asked you to do me a favor, would you do it? I said, whatever you want, Frank. He said, I want you to do it. And he called me off guard, it's okay, and I hung up. Then I said, wait a minute. I just got this part, I put up money, you don't know what I did. I called him back the next day. I said, Frank, you're a good friend of mine, right? He said, of course. I said, well, yes, you do me a favor. Would you do it? I used the same dialogue. <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, if I asked you not to do here to eternity, would you have done it? He hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when I found out about Ava. I don't even know if you know this story. That's why he was so mad at Mario Puzo in the script even. He went to Paramount. Because the part of Johnny Fontaine, it don't take a rocket scientist to finance him. Yeah. And no mob guy got on the part. Ava got on the part. Yeah. And she did not get him the part by betting Harry Kahn. She went through Harry's wife, who I know. happened to be oh, I know her very it. good friend. I know all about it. <laughs> no, I know that. And that's what destroyed me even more. Because what she did for him, and all he wanted to be was with her, but she felt obligated because he's, I don't know how many people know it, his James Woods, not the actor, his agent, William Morris, they found Frank. Thank God his neighbor was home. He was at William Morris on 72nd Street where they all had apartments. There was a smell of gas. So they called him and gave permission to go in, and Frank was in the oven. And that's when he destroyed his vocal cords. And huh. he couldn't sing for two years. Now, I did not know that part. I know. Most people don't. And that's what Ava felt terrible about now. Now he's heartbroken. He can't sing. Where's he going? He needed this movie. That's why she went and got it. Well, nobody knows. I mean, well, you know it, obviously, but very few people know. And that's why he was so mad with Mario Puzo. Because he didn't want the mob. And he didn't, I mean, 
he wanted to have the credit without being in the movie. He didn't want to have to go explain it. Just eradicate it. And, and, but he, he had no power because he was a fictitious name. Mm -hmm. There have been rumors for years that uh, Frank was part of the mob. And when Ava was asked about that, she usually responded with, it's uh, like guilt by association. Frank performs in mob-owned nightclubs. Well, and, and that's exactly it. When I went for my gaming license, I, I, I was building a hotel, a $72 million hotel. And you don't go for your gaming license until that's complete. So that means you have an empty building. And with mob association, I hired a guy called Jeffrey Silva, who just stepped down from the Nevada Gaming Commission. And I hired him. And before the hearing opened, I said, I wanted to like to approach the commissioners off the record. And I said, I know, and you pay for your own investigation. So wherever they want to go, they give you a budget, you pay for it. With no guarantee you're going to get it. And I knew it. They went to see every mob guy in the world. Because I knew every mob guy in the world, because I was a messenger for the mob. And I approached him and I said, here's what I'd like to do. I said, before we go on record, I know every mob guy in the world. And you know that by now. I have an association as far back into the Gambino family in Sicily. But I've never been convicted of a crime. I never got a speeding ticket. And this is America. Here's what I'd like to do. Give me my gamer license for one year. If... I do anything to jeopardize that license, I will give you the hotel. Because <laughs> what am I going to do with it anyway? <laughs> and that's how they gave my game license. Okay. I still have my game license. Mm -hmm. You could surrender it. I closed my gaming places down. I could surrender it and I could just... But uh, it's, it's strange when you get in that world. But like you pointed out in D1, everybody else said it. We work for the mob indirectly. They own all the nightclubs. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you going to work in a nightclub that a mob don't have? Yeah. That's it. I would like to qualify that a little bit. Um, I'm sure you know George C. Scott, and he was one who could not hold his liquor. And when he was drinking, <clears throat> excuse me, he became violent. And he assaulted Ava repeatedly. He chased her literally around the world. And that was a lesson that she did not quickly learn because she was so forgiving. Um, but after he had already assaulted her um, in Rome while they were making the Bible, and then again in London at the Savoy Hotel, um, <clears throat> Ava was back in New York City and he talked her into going to his um, a home he had in Connecticut one weekend. And as forgiving as she was, she did. And sure enough, they were cooking dinner, and he was drinking, and it ended up in a fight. I mean, a physical fight. And um, somehow she was able to break away from him. She had run out of the house and run for quite a distance in the snow and then came back to the house and was able to place a, a phone call to her 
companion and housekeeper, her assistant, uh, Maureen Jordan. Uh, Rainey, as Ava called her, got in touch with Frank. Now, Frank was not in New York City, but within just a few hours, Frank's guys were at the door of Scott's home in Connecticut and rescued Ava. Now, without some heavy hitters in the New York area, <laughs> how in the world could Frank have rescued Ava from George C. Scott? Well, that's what he did. I mean, first of all, Frank, Frank you're right, was not in the mob. Frank was owned by the mob. <laughs> he wasn't in the mob. And he worked so many weeks every year for nothing for the mob. Because some of the things he's done in the past that were not right, like, I, 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 well, I, we certain things I shouldn't talk about. But no, Frank well, uh, got caught up early on with Mob. He asked for favors, he got them done, and when they wanted them, they wanted them back too. And that's what almost got him killed, even with JFK. He said he can control John F. Kennedy. So him and Peter Lawford which is, was JFK's brother-in-law. They got to, and I was there. I, I went to every ball of the inauguration. I was 17. Everybody said, who's this kid? And they, and they, they were calling me the kid. It, it was so funny because that's the only way they knew me. But uh, it, he was, like I can't mention certain names, but he was totally controlled. Especially then when he, he left New York, you know, and ran to Chicago. And not Sam Giancana. Sam Giancana was a front for Tony Accardo. Accardo called Costello and said, you, you Italian singers here. He wants to come part of us. He said, yeah. He said, you got an extra phone there? And he said, tell him to pick up the phone. So it was Accardo, Sinatra, and Costello on the phone. Is Frank, you want to be with them? Great. You're with them now and us. Now you work 16 weeks a year for nothing. <laughs> Good Lord. Hello. No, no, no. Well, another qualifier for me, when I, I look at all the history, uh, Frank was able to amass, <clears throat> excuse me, a huge um, amount of money. Augie Bush. <laughs> After, Bush okay. he had he had more. I mean, forget. I mean, we could talk online about Sinatra. I mean, he, he. I mean, who died richer than him? D. Martin. <laughs> really? D. Martin. D. Martin, when Dean died, probably one of the richest actors in the world, richest singers, performers, whatever you want to call it. No, they made some good deals. I mean, Frank's distribution in. A, a, a franchise of a Bush Brewery was huge. A couple of hundred million dollars was worth. But he gave a lot out to it. He was a very gentle man, quietly, quietly. Not want to be like, I just saw Oprah Winfrey, and I don't mind saying it on the, on the air, giving pillows down in Maui. <laughs> How about writing checks? What are you going to do with a pillow? <laughs> You've got billions of dollars, right? you got a couple of million dollars in funds. Yeah. She's handing out pillows. <laughs> People have no place to lay them down on the ground. It's, I guess that was just a photo op. Of course. 
<laughs> no, that, that mystery is not really a mystery because as we pointed out earlier, all the nightclubs were controlled by them. And if you wanted to work, you worked. And, and, but Frank had a big gambling problem too, you know. And that's why, you know, I was there when Mr. Cohen knocked out his teeth. Who was he going to call? He threw, he threw a roll of dimes on him. He said, when you're done, I'll give you more. Call anybody you want. He couldn't call. You can't call nobody, that guy. But it's, it's, uh, I, I mean, you know, to be a fly on the wall, part of that culture, when it was actually happening, it's amazing. See, and people say, how could you, why? But I, I was trusted as a young person. I proved myself as a young person. And that was it. I'm still here. I never was convicted of a crime. And I've done some major, you know, I'd wait for you to hurt me, and then it was justified by homicide. Johnny, could could you go back to that because that's one of that's one of your fascinating stories to me. With when when Frank Sinatra got into the altercation with Mr. Cohen and what happened, and then your your kind of relationship with that as well. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, again, Frank, I think, was bipolar. I don't know if she ever told you that, Ava. Mm-hmm. At nighttime, when he got drunk, he turned into a different guy. He thought he was six foot four and wanted to fight everybody. You, could, you throw him against the wall. He's like a fly. <laughs> I mean, my, my first, we got we got into it. The Gallery of Bar, I remember it specifically at Seas. Everybody left the sand, went to Seas because a different organization took that over. And that was a bigger property. And uh, we were sitting in the Gallery of Bar right next to the Baccarat, Baccarat, Baccarat pit. And he went to smack me. And I grabbed his arm in the air, which like that my candle. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at him. He looked at Jilly. I said, "What's he gonna do? I'll put a bullet in his head right here." And he's still looking at Jilly. He's, you know. I said, "Frank, pardon my French. I saw him off your arm and shove it up your ass. Don't let me raise your arm again to me again." <laughs> and Jilly wouldn't move because I would. I, I've been known to shoot people in public places. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not in the mob. I'm not. I'm not a made guy. I don't even want to be. They've asked me, and I said, "Hold on, I don't want to be a Boy Scout." I know how you guys ride each other. Right? Everybody started riding everybody out. I don't want to go to jail. I still haven't gone to jail. <laughs> I never had a speeding ticket. I know. No, <laughs> nothing. That's more than most of us can say. I've had a speeding ticket. No, in fairness, I, I was going to say that's one reason why it's because Johnny's always had a driver too. So. Oh. Okay. Well, what I did, I mean, I, I love drinking, and I didn't want to kill anybody for no reason. I, I got a driver. <laughs> and, and if anybody wanted the job, they all want to hang out with me just to see what, you know, who's getting in the car. But, uh, no, no, I, I, I'm very responsible in so many ways. It sounds like I live this vicarious life. I don't. It's very calculated. When I'm doing something, it's for a reason, or I'm not doing it. I'll stay home. I don't just casually go out with people and be with people who I don't know who they are. I get invited all the time, but if I don't know, especially today with so many stool pigeons, forget about it. They're all going to make a deal for themselves. Well, people are constantly trying to find out really what I have or don't have. You know, They try to assume, but nobody knows. Nobody will ever know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to keep it, right? Oh, oh yeah. goodness. 
So the um, the the one that, that and again I'm, I'm going to come back to this because I think it's an interesting story when um, Sinatra basically got his teeth knocked out and everything. But your relationship with Mr. Cohen, who did that and everything, tell us about that a little bit. With this, well, that came on later on. You're talking about yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, <laughs> his his daughter was one of the ten women I impregnated. Now imagine me having to go tell this guy, who's a tough guy. And I said, I got to talk to you. He said, oh, I did. we had those conversations numerous times. So he said, well, we'll meet later on in a Chinese restaurant. This was still at the Sands. And I told him, and I said, what? And he said, why are you telling me? Then he dawned on him. He said, you? He said, yeah. I do. take my hat off. I was ready for him. But he said, I never thought a father would ever tell me this. He said, if she wants to keep the baby, you're all right with that, as a course. He said, I want you to do me a favor. I said, whatever you want to do. He said, if it's a boy, you got to raise him Jewish. It's okay. He said, now the next favor, don't marry her. I said, you don't want me to marry her? Like you just said. I thought the same thing. He said, she's so spoiled. Nobody can live with her. I don't blame her. If you beat her up, I know. What am I going to do? She's a brat. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I got a 52-year-old son with him, and she insisted in naming him Gianni Russo. Now, picture us sitting in a shul. I got the shawl on, the yarmulke. I'm Catholic. We're all sitting. I'm sitting next to him. There is no way to translate my name into Hebrew, Gianni Russo. So now they're doing the whole summary blah, 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 blah. Gianni Russo. As soon as they said it first, everybody laughed. Talk about Sinatra, Steve, when everybody in the world that meant something was there. He just looked over his shoulder. There was never another peep. And my name was mentioned 20 more times. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want to laugh after That's they got the that look. Oh, no, yeah. this guy. Well, we've heard numerous stories. Yeah. They put... Drogner blew up his house. Did you know that? They were, trying to, I, I did they not. were having a big turf war in, 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 with the film business because they controlled the film business. And Drogner was there before him. And he blew up his house. He walked out of that and went right to Drogner. Really? Wow. Well, these so many. These, yeah, I mean, you can't even talk about these, though. You know, to yeah. me. I talk about it now because everybody's dead. <laughs> you know. Crazy world. So, Ava, you've got um, a lot of people that you have met when you were young and everything. And uh, I'll tell you, one of the fascinating things about Gianni, too, is it's very hard to name somebody that he hasn't at least crossed paths with or knows inadvertently. And everything. Let's talk some about some of the some of the people that you met. You mentioned George C. Scott as one. And I'll be honest, I did not even realize that he and Ava had a relationship at all until you told us about that. That's not something that's really widely publicized out there. But how about some of the other, particularly the, the Hollywood people that you met when you were younger? Oh, my goodness. Well, I met Frank a couple of times, um, and I met Frank Jr. Um, that he... was a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Jr. <Schmitt. laughs> I will have to say that he did not have his father's personality and no, charm. No, he did not. <laughs> charm, he had nothing like that. But he was a nice young man. Of course. <laughs> so are all the boys. 
it's so funny. Frank and I talked about it all the time about Junior. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, uh, did you ever meet the girls, Tina? Or no, Nancy? I did not. Tina was the son he should have had. Tina's like his mother. Dolly, really? Dolly was a truck driver. His mother, Dolly, she was a, a barmaid. They had a Democratic Party. <laughs> I'm talking about Wield a lot of power, short little lady. Ava uh, and Dolly were close. Oh, I know. They, they were well. of course. <laughs> I knew that. No, Dolly loved Ava. Yeah. But, you know, but Ava was so, to me, I'm, I'm an observer looking in on, on the outside, but Ava had so much style and class and power. And she didn't care about nobody. You're exactly right. <laughs> nobody. Nobody nobody was better than her. Nobody was stronger. She didn't need anybody. That was her attitude. And, and somebody told me once she had low esteem. I said, how'd she have a low esteem? You crazy? <laughs> Not the person I met. Anyway, she camouflaged it well. Well, I, when people ask me about Ava, you know, what was she really like? Of course, I like to talk about how fun-loving she was, but more important than that, I think Ava, the authentic Ava, is more relevant today than she was back in the 50s for the reasons that you have just talked about. You know, she was independent, assertive. Um, she lived by her values. She was outspoken. Um, oh, yeah. She was you honest. ask a question, you're going to get the right answer for her opinion. Yes. <laughs> I, I think it was Tennessee Williams said uh, that if you ask uh, Ava Gardner a question, you better be prepared for a truthful, peppery response. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, again, I, you know, I, I, I can't sit here and, uh, and say I had a relationship with her, a friendship with her. I didn't. Mine always came late at night after a bottle of bourbon and everybody else was sleeping. And I was just enamored to be around these people. And that's how I got friendly with Marilyn. And Marilyn and I never had a romance. Did we hold each other and, and make love? Yes. But it was just because we needed it. See, Marilyn was totally different than Ava. Marilyn had such low esteem of herself. There's all these guys, including Sinatra. They all took advantage of her. There's not one guy that I can meet, Tony Curtis, all the people I made movies with, they all were with Marilyn, sexually. Because that's all she thought she could offer them. And, and, and that's not Ava. Oh, no. No. <laughs> and that's a great point because this is something you and I have talked about. You know, one of the one of the problems that I have, of course, I didn't ever know her, but just from, from my reading and, 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 and learning about her and everything, you know, she had an aura about her. She commanded the room. You know, she was she was never someone who really had to seek attention or anything. And so in, in a lot of the portrayals and even some of the more recent ones that you and I have talked about and everything, you know, I've got a real problem when they kind of almost show her as, you know, having the, the drinking problem and being almost desperate for attention. And that's not the woman that she was. And what you're saying is kind of... Oh, no. Yeah. See, most people observing her drinking think she had a problem because they would yeah they consumed that much <laughs> that's all it was right. yeah yeah but but she really she she handled it well she wasn't oh, that yeah. you know like a you know a, a lush to speak and and certainly wouldn't be you'd never see her chasing after a man you know no she way. never had to do that and, and she would much rather make a man 
her friend than her lover. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the stories are out there that she bedded every man in Hollywood, and that that's not really the truth. Uh, it's just like Howard Keel and Showboat. They just got together and, and drank, and yeah. they were not lovers. They were just great pals and chums, and same with Gregory Peck. I mean, they were friends. They were not lovers, but... In terms of lovers, in her autobiography, she was very straightforward um, and not ashamed of the men that she had been intimate with. Um, and, you know... <laughs> no, I mean... No, I mean, there are a few people like her, when you think about it, she's an icon and within herself. It's, so, compliments to her. Mm-hmm. But I declare, she certainly did have some some good-looking lovers. <laughs> um, Walter Chiari, oh my goodness. <laughs> so handsome. Louis Miguel Domingan, uh, the bullfighter, so handsome. Oh, my oh no, I mean, why not? <laughs> oh, no, the bullfighter. I, I was in the company of, not because I wanted to be. And there was Howard Duff and Robert Taylor. And I, I guess there will always be a big question as to whether or not uh, she made Howard Hughes her lover. <laughs> yeah, that would be a question. Uh, <laughs> but, How, Howard um, Hughes was that's the character. I spent a lot of time with Howard. But, uh, but he was who he was, you know, in the studio. Well... He was in and out of Ava's life for 20 years or more, and uh, they never. He repeatedly asked her to marry him, and she repeatedly said no. Uh, she was just not in love with him the way she needed to be to marry him. But she never said anything bad about him when. And this was also characteristic of Ava. If she couldn't say something nice, she was going to keep her mouth shut. Uh, she said that he was a brilliant man, oh, he was uh, a wonderful yeah. scientist, um, a very generous person, um, and they shared a birthday, Christmas Eve. Um, so she uh, she never said anything ugly about Howard, in spite of the fact she knocked his teeth out. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, <laughs> he slapped her. And she, she being the woman she, she is, she defended so herself. Have, <laughs> <laughs> well, now, was this the instance, and in, in, was it was it Mayhew that had to come in and pull her off of Howard Hughes? Didn't someone have to come in and pull her off of him after she knocked his teeth out yes, and got him down I, and, on the ground? And she said that if uh, it was um, her sister, Bathy. I think it was and, Walter Kane. Oh, was it? Okay. Could, could have it? been. But, Walter was like his side-by-side guy. Okay. Mayhew, Dana, all of them came when he started buying the hotels. Uh, okay. And we were setting them up because they gave they were all FBI. contracts all right. to give him the money to do what he's doing. But she said that she would have probably killed him if they hadn't if stopped, her. stopped her. <laughs> but that is so true of um, Ava. It took a whole lot to make her mad. Really? And she was very forgiving. But once... You did make her mad and pushed her over that line. You better 
kick out of the way. I wouldn't even think of it. <laughs> Again, me, I, mean, I was just a kid at that time, you know. Abe is, what, 20, about 22 years older than me, or 21 years older than me at the time. But uh, so I, I just, I was in awe of just being in her presence, and there was nothing I had to try to do to do that because I was already in that company. She knew the kid, and everybody else did, and that's why I was there. But other than that, not because of anything, other than I was the last one standing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this has been really special, and I want to um, thank both of you again for coming and spending time with us here. And we are getting ready to leave here and go experience the Gianni Russo experience, which is uh, great. Uh, I have had the opportunity to see it. Ava, this is going to be your first time in seeing it, but we're also going to be doing a really special kind of after show where we're going to have the two of you get together up on stage in front of the audience. And so we're going to have an opportunity for you to chat a little bit, but also open up and ask, you know, have some questions asked by the audience members and everything. So I'm looking forward to that very much. And John, I can't thank you enough for coming down oh, for thank this. thank you for this, all your hospitality uh, and everybody well, here. I, 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 don't, I really like this town. <laughs> uh, well, we're going we're gonna to definitely have you back, and, and Ava, you as well, for coming back and spending time with us, and it's always great to have you here. And uh, so we're going to uh, we're gonna kind of wrap up here and head on back out to the uh, Highland Creek Golf Club and uh, enjoy a nice evening there and have a nice Godfather dinner, family style. And It's uh, nice you have a marching band. <laughs> exactly right. Take us right out. <laughs> you can probably hear this over there. They're out right outside the, uh, the window here marching up and down the street banging on the drums and everything so uh does everything is so first class that's right <laughs> we put it out there for you right you got the marching oh, band and all. that's right <laughs> we just leave it in there because it's in there yeah that's great well thanks again to both of you and uh thank you all for spending time with us today and uh, listening to some of these great stories we're gonna have a lot more i'm sure coming down the pike so stay tuned Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Want to ask us a question for the mailbag? We love hearing from our fans, so submit your questions online at hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com or you can give us a call at 646-776-3038 and leave a message. Contact us anytime with your questions about past or future shows, your favorite celebrity or anything you'd like to know and who knows, your question may even make it on the air. Remember to follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Hollywood Godfather and at Real Johnny Russo. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review with your podcast provider or your video streaming service. We'll be back next week with another exciting show and who knows who we may have on the show. If you don't want to miss out on an episode, remember to subscribe. Until next time. Seventeen, it was a very good year. It was a very good year for small town girls and soft summer nights. We'd hide from the light on the village green. 
I didn't mind waiting. 